series has been, in part, a reminder for all of us that we aren't just here at church, but we are the church. The church is not just a place to consume, but it's a place, or we are the church, and so together at church and as the church, we have an awesome mission together. And, you know, as we uh, think about a new pastor coming in a couple weeks, or I should say about a month, um, what a great time it is for us to rethink about that and, and the, the awesome work that God has for us to do together. If you're a guest with us, uh, a reminder about the gold insert in your service folder, and there's some fill-in-the-blanks there, which are meant to uh, continue to keep your heart and mind engaged as we study God's Word that is timeless and always relevant. As we get going today, um, I wanted to talk about something that happened at the 1904 World's Fair, and, and some of you may have already had, had heard this before, but in 1904, the World's Fair was in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, if you've ever been in Missouri in the middle of summer or areas around Missouri, um, it gets to be really, really hot and really, really humid, uh, humidity much worse even than what we have around here. And it was one of those days, the 1904 fair, and as you can imagine, on such a hot day, there were certain things that were being sold that uh, were selling really well, and other things that vendors were selling that weren't selling very well at all. Um, one of the things that people were lined up long distances for, even though there was a number of different vendors, was uh, ice cream. Ice cream was going really, really well. And uh, in fact, one of the ice cream vendors, his name is Arnold uh, Fornichow, he actually was selling so much ice cream that he ran out of dishes, ran out of paper dishes to put the ice cream in. Now, nearby his ice cream sort of stand, there was another guy there, his name was Ernest Hamley, and uh, he wasn't selling ice cream, he was selling, uh, unfortunately, a warm dessert. It was like, a, uh, like some sort of a, a waffle-type pastry thing. Uh, it's called Zalabia. Never heard of it. Don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but that's what you know, the internet said, all right? Zalabia, okay? So Ernest Hamwe is looking at um, what's going on with Fornichow and also seeing that he's not selling anything, and they both have problems, right? Fornichow wants to sell, but doesn't have anything to put his ice cream in. Uh, Hamley, well, no one wants Zalabia on a hot day, so he's got an idea. What if I took some warm Zalabia, rolled it up like you might roll up a newspaper, and maybe we could put ice cream on top. So he takes it over to Fornichow. What do you think? They both loved it. They came up with this awesome name for it called the ice cream... No, cornucopia is what they called it. <laughs> But that was way too long of a word, so they ended up later, you know, in, society, in American society, it's been called the ice cream cone, and these two people who would have not been able to sort of sell things um, on their own came together. They both compromised their particular dessert and together came up with a great solution that I, for one, am really happy that they thought of, okay? Now... Compromise isn't just important when it comes to coming up with a new dessert. Um, compromise is important in many, many areas of life. And in fact, um, you're not going to be able to survive very long in this world if you're not willing to compromise. 
Um, kids, if you're not willing to compromise with your brother and sister or with classmates at school, um, it's going to be hard to have friends because people don't necessarily gravitate to others who always want to have their way. And so there's this skill, kids, young people, that we need to learn. It's, it's called compromise, and it's okay for, for others to have their way sometime and for us to find a solution in the middle. Um, if you work at all, uh, you know what it means to compromise at the workplace. Um, if you're, uh, whether it's compromising with your customer or compromising with your coworker, even as a boss, if you have a boss that leads without ever compromising, he's either a really horrible boss or he's not going to be a boss very long. Good leadership recognizes the importance of compromise. Probably the place where compromise needs to happen the most and that the one that you're, most of us or many of us are most familiar with is in another relationship called marriage, right? Or, or I suppose in some ways dating too, but especially in marriage you need to compromise. And in uh, preparation for this message, I, I kind of asked Carrie about this and asked, you know, is there, can you think of, you know, if you really scratched in the back of your brain any time that you've ever had to compromise living with me since, you know, it, <laughs> and... She came up with answers way more quickly than I was expecting. I actually had to say, all right, that's good. I've got, I've got enough. But, so we all, we all compromise, don't we? It's important. It's our first fill-in. Compromise can be important. In fact, I would say it's biblical. Paul writes in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ means you need to put the other person's wishes, wants, or desires ahead of your own. That's what it means to submit. There's a biblical aspect of compromising with people. Now, as we think of Confirmation Day, as you think of your life as a Christian moving forward and sort of fulfilling or carrying out your Christian life, here, here's, here's the rub. There are times where we are to compromise but what we're going to talk about more today is there are other things and other times where we should never compromise. Where we put a stake in the ground and say, I'm not moving from here. <laughs> you may need to move, but I'm not going to. And as we consider that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, an incident in the early church where this happened. Um, you've heard of Peter and John. They were two of uh, Jesus' closest disciples, uh, closest friends and disciples. And um, they, after the church got going, they really kind of spearheaded the formation, especially Peter, but John too, the formation of the Christian church in Jerusalem, which wasn't easy. You know, last week we talked about how much uh, Christians were persecuted in the first 250 years of the church, how, you know, I lament the fact that I got made fun of once for wearing a Christian-themed t-shirt, and I shrunk back from that, and yet Christians in the first century were being thrown to lions and beheaded and literally crucified and, and, and killed thousands of Christians. This is the environment, at least the, the beginnings of the environment that Peter and John were living in as the events that we're going to read about happens. 
Acts chapter 3 is where we're going to start, and then our, our main thrust of the message is going to be found in chapter 4. But we've got to kind of set a scene, and I want you to, to see if Peter and John compromised or didn't compromise, okay? So, begin with verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple. This is about probably a couple weeks after Pentecost, about a couple months after Easter. They were going at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those, or from, um, from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he, looked, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said to the beggar, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Um, the, the temple was a place where, in that time period, um, lots of the crippled, the poor, the needy would hang out. Um, you know, it makes sense. You know, if there is anywhere in, in the city where people might be a little more giving and a little more godly, so to speak, it would be at church, right? Just heard the message from the priest and now, um, you know, go and, and, and fulfill it. Um, so that's why a lot Lots of, of the, the needy would hang out there. Then Peter said, verse 6, Silver or gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give you. And I wonder what's going through that crippled guy's mind. All right. So you don't have silver or gold, but you're going to give me something. <laughs> what are you going to give me? I don't need advice, okay? People have given me advice all the time. I don't need that. What I need is silver and gold. But Peter had something even better than silver or gold to give him. Verse 6, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Peter took him by the right hand, helped him up. I, I envision this kind of, he's kind of wobbly maybe, maybe not. But trying to, that look of surprise when you're standing for the very first time in your life. And instantly the man's feet and ankles, ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. What, what an awesome day. All right, you don't need to give me silver and gold. If you can make me walk, that's pretty cool. That's an awesome day for this crippled beggar, crippled from birth. And he wants everyone to know. He's excited. He's jumping, praising. In fact, uh, a little later in Acts 3, it says, as he's jumping and praising, he's holding on to Peter and John's arms. He doesn't want them to go anywhere. So maybe they're all three jumping and praising. I don't know. But he's holding on to them. There's a crowd that starts to gather as they see this commotion going on and noticing, isn't that the guy? We've seen him for years. He's walking. What's going on? And, and a crowd gathers. And, and here's how you know Peter's a pastor. A crowd gathered, and guess what Peter did? He preached a sermon. I got a sermon for this, all right? So he starts to preach to the crowd that's gathered in the temple, and he starts talking to them about, who do you think? About Jesus, and about how Jesus, and through him, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you have forgiveness, you have life, you have salvation, and the crowd continues to grow, Acts 3 tells us. And finally, some of the Jewish leaders notice what's going on, and they come out from wherever they were, were and they gather, and they're not so happy. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to believe in Jesus. 
it's still another thing to talk about them. It's worse yet for them to be talking about Jesus of Nazareth while in the temple. And so they, they take Peter and John, they arrest them, they throw them into jail. Waiting for the next day when the higher-ups will have a chance to talk with them and do whatever they're going to do with them. Acts chapter 4, verse 6. The Annas, the next day the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. And so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. And here was the the key question. By what power or what name did you do this healing act? Now, you've heard of Annas and Caiaphas before, I'm guessing, many of you. Here's why. (laughs) Because they showed up in Jesus' death and crucifixion. In fact, they weren't just there. They were kind of the masterminds behind the rigged jury and the fact that they even paid off witnesses to lie about Jesus and yet their, their sort of testimonies didn't agree, the Bible says. Caiaphas and Annas were people who did not, like Jesus, had him killed. And at the same token would have been people that Peter and John would have had a little bit of of fear, I suppose, of, because they had the power to kill Peter and John. And um, he asks the question, oh, go back, by what power, back one more, Dean, by what power or name did you do this? Now, talked about compromising. You know what would have been the easy thing for Peter and John to do in this circumstance? To compromise the truth by telling these killers, Annas and Caiaphas, what they wanted to hear. To compromise their faith by not being clear about whom and in whose name this happened. And if you know anything about Peter, he'd already done that, hadn't he? He had a history of that, at least a couple months earlier. They were in a circumstance, a situation, where compromise would have been very easy. But that doesn't ever happen anymore, does it? Where people get into situations where they might compromise their belief or compromise their following of Jesus. You don't know anything about that. Let me give you an extreme example. Um, Maybe some of you have seen this um, on the news or in the news. There's a uh, a Sudanese Christian. Her name is uh, Miriam Ibrahim. And uh, she's a Christian in an Islamic country. She's eight months pregnant and she's on trial for what? For being a Christian. And just recently, she was convicted to death because she wasn't willing to give up her confession of faith in Jesus. There's some appeals going on, but that's her conviction right now. 
That's the conviction that the court handed down. This life and death thing happens still today. It probably won't happen to us. It could. Probably won't. But we still face these situations, right? Situations where we are tempted to compromise on times or in situations where we shouldn't. Remember, faith starts with belief in him, in Jesus, as our Savior that the Holy Spirit gives us. And being a disciple doesn't end there with belief. It continues with following. And how easy at times it is to confess, I'm sorry, to compromise our faith. Uh, like, like, what am I talking about? Um, let me give you an example from my life. When I was, uh, when I was in high school, um, there was a, a kid in our class that, uh, for whatever reason, and there might have been a few people decided to just pick on him more than what they should have. Shouldn't pick on anyone anyway. And uh, not something that I started, not something that I necessarily agreed with, but at the, the very same time when, when I was in a group of certain friends, I didn't not do it either. And I, I was in a situation where I compromised what I knew, what I believed, and I, I didn't follow. We have situations like that all the time, don't we? where we, we compromise our faith for a little bit of fun on the weekend. We compromise our, our faith for a little bit of, I guess, um, I guess ease when it comes to um, living situations. We compromise our faith, our following at times, um, to sort of, I guess, appease our, our sinful nature by watching a movie that we know is no good, by clicking on a website that we know has nothing good or godly to offer, by going to a party because everyone else is going, and yet not where we would probably take Jesus if he was with us. We all have situations where we compromise. What, what did Peter and John do? And why did they do what they did? What they did? Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, I mean, this doesn't even make sense. We just did a good thing and now we're in jail? <laughs> and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, I'm not strong enough in my faith to tell you in whose name it happened. Oh, it, uh, you believe in God. We just believe. We believe in God, too. It's in the name of a higher power that we did this. No. It's in the name of Jesus Christ. And in case you're still not sure what Jesus I'm talking about, the, the one who came from Nazareth, you know? And then they get really bold as it continues in the next verse. Whom you... <laughs> Guys, crucified, remember? The one that you, in a very dishonest way, by telling lies about him, had him killed, but also whom God raised from the dead. It's in his name, Jesus. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you might do. I don't care what society says. I don't care if I lose face. I don't care if I lose my life. It is in the name of Jesus that we did this. He is, Jesus is, the stone 
you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. And, you know, I, I think there's a little bit of humor and a whole lot of conviction in this last sentence because what um, P- John is doing, or Peter is doing here is he's quoting an Old Testament passage from the Psalms that they would have known, these Jewish leaders would have known, that was prophesied about the coming Savior. About how, like, the, the cornerstone is the most important stone of a building. Like, the Messiah who's coming would be somewhat rejected, like a builder rejecting the most important stone. And John is, is speaking to them. Life, their life is in the balance in some ways. And, and he's like, you know what, guys? I just want you to know. Remember that verse? Well, you're famous, Because you just fulfilled, and you have fulfilled this verse. You're famous, and it's not in a good way. People will remember you for a long time, like 2014 years later, or whatever it is. You're famous for the wrong thing. You rejected Jesus, and it is his name that we did that. And then he closes with this this awesome confession um, that our confirmands are making today, in essence. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name, no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Brings us to our second fill-in. Jesus is the only way. He's the only way for our lives. He's the only way to now, I have to, to say that I feel very blessed that from the time I was born, I had parents who told me this. Salvation is found in no one else. And because of their faithfulness and because of their, I guess, just bringing me up with that truth, I've never had, I've had questions, doubts, but not like some. But we all get to a certain age where we start to get skeptical. Really? One way? Really? This way? It would have been very easy for Peter and John, in their doubt, to shrink back. In their doubt, to say, all right, I'll take a rain check and being so confident about this, especially because it'll probably help save my life. But they didn't. Why were they so confident? Well, verse 20 tells us. They said, we can't help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. Do you you understand the implications of this? Most religions are a study and a following of a philosophy, of a way of living. Essentially, it all comes down to this in most religions. That God has a big, we've talked about this before, a big sticker chart in heaven. If you get enough smiley faces, and you will never know if you have enough until you die, but if you get enough smiley faces, you're in. You get the prize. Pick from the prize jar. But Christianity is not religion in that sense. There's more confidence than that. It's based on an event in history that not only happened, but that Peter and John witnessed. And then you know what they did? They wrote about it. And those writings have been preserved for us 
by God until today. So that we know that we can have hope and confidence and we are made entirely new, our next fill-in, not based on a philosophy, but based on an event that Jesus Christ died He first lived for you, died in our place, and then rose again. And guess what? When you've seen something with your own eyes, you're not going to shrink back even if the murderers of that man, Jesus, are standing right before you. And Peter and John were unwilling to compromise. They remembered who they were. They remembered what Jesus had done for them, like, like you know what Jesus has done for you. And so we need to remember who we are. We're not just believers. We're not just consumers of what God can give. We're disciples who follow with our lives. And as we do, it's important to remember who we are and where we are. Have you ever ever run into someone who uh, forgot who they were and where they were? Um, Let me give you an example of this. Uh, This past spring break was not very springy at all. I think every day was below, you know, freezing for sure, probably below zero on some of them. So we didn't as a family do anything outside, but there was a day that we went to an indoor park in Egan called uh, Good Time Park. Has anyone ever been to Good Time Park? A few people. Um, It's a good time at Good Time Park, you know, (laughs) especially if you're like 10 years old and under or 11 and under. But anyway, so for most of the morning, I was uh, obviously supervising the kids. We ate lunch, whatever. And then my two youngest kids came up to me and said, hey, um, Dad, you want to go on this thing with us, this, this whatever attraction, whatever it is? And I, I said, all right, which one? And they brought me over to this, which is like, well, they call it, I think, a jumping pillow, but it's like a, uh, a trampoline. And so I came over and... And, and, and I really didn't want to go on it, but, you know, you also want to be the cool dad, right? So, so you see, uh, don't, I didn't see any no adults allowed signs and, or anything like that, so I decided to go on it. And for a, for a few minutes as I started jumping, I kind of forgot who I was, an adult. And I forgot where I was on a jumping pillow or whatever they call it. But I was brought, snapped back to attention when out of the corner of my eye, I saw little people flying both <laughs> directions. As, uh, you know, you get a lot of weight in the middle, and a jumping pillow is unkind to people who weigh less as they're like falling out onto the ground off the jumping pillow. And I quickly was reminded of who I was and where, where I was. Um, maybe, maybe this message... Maybe this section of scripture is your jumping pillow today. I pray it is for our confirmands the next service. It's easy to forget who we are. It's easy to forget that disciple means believer plus follower. It's easy to compromise things that we know we shouldn't compromise. And yet following is mindful. Following in faith means 
that we remember who we are, and then we don't compromise the things that are most important. We do not compromise the name of Jesus. We don't compromise what it means to follow him. Keep Jesus at the forefront of your mind every day. Make Jesus the center of your life. Make him the reason that you have hope during your life and the reason you have no fear at death, which brings us to our last villain in the Christian life, just like Peter and John. There's one thing he shouldn't compromise. When we do, he gives us forgiveness. But may we have a new start today, a fresh start, in remembering not to compromise Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for examples in scripture like Peter and John who made a clear confession of where their hope was and then they followed. They weren't willing to compromise. May we also do that in our faith. Dear Lord, at the same time today, we also raise a prayer of thanksgiving for the eight confirmands who are going to be confessing uh, their faith that salvation is found in only you. Lord, today we also uh, thank you for the, the call that uh, Taylor Trader, one of our members, received uh, to Iron Ridge, Wisconsin. We, we ask you to be with Taylor and Alicia as uh, he goes and, and does uh, your work at that congregation, at the school. Guide and bless them. And finally, Lord, we just ask you to continue to be with us as a congregation as we consider um, an opportunity to uh, continue to band together both our time and our offerings as we get ready for Matt Ewart, our next pastor, to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray this and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory.